0: Think on your feet for our fast and curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
1: I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's finally Friday, and that means it's time to catch up on everything that happened this week before the weekend. That's right, it's the Weekly News Recap, where we take a deep dive into the biggest state and local stories. It's just three weeks before the election, and the two candidates for governor squared off for their final debate.
2: I'm running to restore hope to all the good
0: people in Illinois. I've done my job so working families can do theirs.
1: An woman unveiled a new plan to deter crime. Mayoral challenger Sophia King unveils her plan to reverse a spike in violent crime. Safety is obviously Chicago's biggest challenge is this mayor's biggest failure and it will be my number one priority. And a new report shows investors have been raking in millions because of a loophole in a new law.
2: Cook County Treasurer Maria Pappas and her team want to stop investors from taking advantage of an
3: Illinois law that she says is draining tens of millions of dollars every year away from minority communities.
1: We've got a lot to uncover and I've got just the panel to help me do that. With us today is Tina Spandales, chief political reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Also here, Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago, a daily podcast and newsletter all about things Chicago. And we've got Ray Long, investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Ray's also the author of The House That Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. All right, Tina, I'll start with you. The midterm election is just over two weeks away. The candidates for governor had their final debate on Tuesday. What were the highlights?
3: The highlights were both were very prepared. If you saw that first one, you could see uh, Bailey was maybe a little bit more prepared than Pritzker, which was surprising to some. Um, Bailey called Pritzker too extreme. Uh, I'm sorry, Pritzker called Bailey too extreme, and Bailey said that that Pritzker's too woke. So you got both sides of the coin. It was very fast-paced. There were a lot of interjections from Bailey. There was a like shushing from the moderator. Little fights. You could tell the types of issues that that kind of you know made them upset, um, and yeah, is a good overview for voters who are maybe unsure. But it seems to be that there are uh, just, just just those two sides: far right, far left. And yeah, not a lot in the middle.
1: Great overview, and we're gonna dig into some of those moments that you you alluded to there. But I'm burning question for me, folks. Anyone feel like they learned something new about either candidate at the debate? I'm looking at you, Jacoby and Ray.
0: No, I mean, they ended with appreciation, one for, you know, marrying their high school sweetheart. The other, Bailey said, you know, take me suit shopping. And so they (laughs) they tried to find some way to, like, give some props to the other one. But I didn't, right? Governor Pritzker has been invested in this message of Darren Bailey both— you know for months and months but financially as well he actually put money into showcasing to Illinois just how extreme he feels like he is and so in in many respects both feel like they know who their opponent is they've got their talking points ready uh and they they they're, they're, they're going to stick
2: pretty closely to the script yeah what do you uh, think ray well I, you know Pritzker put in tens of millions of dollars to back Bailey's campaign mm-hmm. so he could get the candidate that he wanted. So he's got the candidate he wanted. It's Pritzker's to lose right now. What I took out of the debate is that nobody really had a knockout punch. And so I would agree that the most illuminating thing was, uh, you know, that Darren Bailey actually realizes that he needs better suits. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, he's also um just kind of tamping down his positions from the primary. I asked the governor a question after the debate about, are you seeing a primary Bailey and a general election Bailey? And you 100 percent are because he does not want to talk about abortion. He does Mm -hmm. not want to talk about Trump. That's true. That's the thing that people probably learned at that debate. So uh,
1: Pritzker portrayed Bailey as an extremist, as you mentioned, uh, Tina. He called him a, quote, threat to democracy. He repeatedly tried to link Bailey to Trump. Let's just listen to one example.
0: I want to point out that Darren Bailey has surrounded himself with racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic people and organizations, including chasing after the chief among them, Donald Trump.
1: So he was asked, Bailey was asked repeatedly whether he would support Donald Trump if he ran for president. What
3: did he say? He basically said, like, we don't know who's running. You know, I'm not going to comment on that. Skated around that That question. not the same as what you saw a couple months ago.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. He was begging for that that nomination on all, all fours, practically at one point. Now it seems like he he's back on the fence, kind of kind of biding his time. But as we said, that was always the strategy.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think, Jacoby, that voters are actually swayed by these debates?
0: No, I think voters have made their minds up already. Um, and it's and pretty I, late. Yeah, I just I want people who maybe feel disillusioned by this process who think, as as Ray said, that Pritzker's got it in the bag. It's easy to turn away. But a a lot of these efforts that Bailey and and the far right are pushing for, they're both on the ballot and off the ballot. And so a lot of these measures are picking up steam, um, you know, whether we're talking about anti-inclusive education or book bans or, you know, still trying to to roll back health care for women. And so, you know, we got to pay attention to to this race, but but also recognize that the uh, what they believe in goes uh, much further down the the line. Mm -hmm.
1: And Ray, uh, Darren Bailey also portrayed Governor Pritzker as an extremist. Let's listen to what he had to
0: say. Chicago is the nightmare called Pritzkerville, and it's
2: still two weeks from Halloween. That (laughs) did not really Uh. do anything but hit with a thud. I didn't think uh, it sounded anything more than something that he had practiced on and couldn't wait to get in. He thought he ate. uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, No, I think what's also interesting here, uh, to pick up on what Jacoby was saying, is that there is this line of belief in some of the polls, some of the national polls that that suggest that Republicans are now starting, independents are now starting to lean toward Republicans, which is an interesting factor in other states. I I don't think it'll be enough to create a wave for Bailey in Illinois, of course, but I do think that uh, more people are starting to tune in.
1: Well, Darren Bailey is also trying to tie Pritzker to embattled former House Speaker Mike Madigan, you know, he had new charges brought against him last week. Tell us how that's impacting Democrats right now.
2: Well, Democrats uh, who love to take Madigan's cash and love to have his backing over the years are now acting like Madigan who? I mean, you, you know, what? what is this? Uh, who is this guy? But uh, I didn't have anything to do with it, even though their bank accounts may say otherwise. And so um, they have... To still deal with this Madigan baggage, Uh, Republicans believe that that is an albatross that they can hang around the neck of any opponent and take some votes away from them. And because of the negative ads that are out there now, a lot of people think they can make hay out of it, and they're trying real hard.
1: Yeah, They just seem, Tina, to just have wildly different perspectives on the state of our state.
3: Uh, Bailey and Pritzker. Yeah, they do. They do. And but it's also uh, as an incumbent, Pritzker has to defend what he's done. It's pretty easy to hit an incumbent. There's always something you can point out that they've done that wrong. They missed, yeah, and that's something that Bailey did well during that debate, talking about veterans who died of COVID. I mean. I People, everyone cares about that. You know, that's that's a family member. So he was able to kind of get those good hits on mm-hmm. an incumbent.
1: So sticking with you, Tina, the, the same day as the uh, debate, Republican candidate Darren Bailey got his biggest campaign donation
3: from whom? Mr. Dick Uline, his best friend. Um, he did get two million dollars. And a lot of money. There was an email that went out before the debate saying that he was going to match dollars up to two million dollars to Bailey supporters. So he's given about um, $4 million, I believe. I'm sorry. There's a there's a super PAC that he's given $42 million to. Okay. And this year, um, he's given $12 million total primary and general to Bailey. So he's been giving more money to the super PAC, which we are going to be stuck with for months, because they will be running <laughs> ads after the g- general election That's right. about the mayoral election. We've already seen those. Lori Lightfoot is definitely getting hit by the super PAC. So we will see this for months to come.
1: Well, you know, uh, Dick Uline... Doesn't just give to Illinois candidates, right? He's, he's spreading these donations across the country. So let's talk about that. The candidates he's choosing to support, they have something in common.
3: Yes, they do. Um, so I did a story about that. that he gave more than six million dollars to Republicans who did not vote to certify the election and also separately election deniers. And so, if you like, if you look at the numbers, it's about nine of every ten dollars of money that he's given to congressional candidates fit into this category. Um, I did reach out to his person, his spokesperson. They were going to maybe say something, then they didn't. So I got a no comment. Um, but if you just look at the numbers, you see what do the numbers suggest? The numbers suggest that he supports election denying candidates. Mm-hmm.
1: Are you surprised at all, Jacoby, by uh, how many election denier candidates are on the ballot nationally?
0: No, not at all. you got
1: the Republican candidate for for governor in Arizona, mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, candidates running for um, secretary of state in uh, New Mexico, Arizona as well, Nevada.
0: No No, surprises. I'm not shocked. I think one thing that was mentioned earlier is how people change from the primary to the general. But what the primary consistently showcases is there is a base for this information, this misinformation. There's a base who supports anti-vax rhetoric. There's a base who supports that the election was stolen. There's a base for whom all of these uh, fallacies they hit for, that this is what they get up for. Mm-hmm. They share this in their, their friend groups and their family groups. These are the discussions they'll be having at the holiday. And when you look at politicians as as you know people who are playing the game, essentially, I mean... People aren't going to leave votes on the table. And and if that requires radical views, then then people are clearly willing to participate in them and then walk them back in some cases like like Bailey.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. Ray, following up on all that, can you just shed some light for us on on what Illinois Republicans are calling, quote, election integrity efforts?
2: Yeah, there's a a lot of effort here by the GOP hierarchy, including Bailey and Don Tracy, the the chair of the GOP uh, party, what uh, they're shooting for is to try to, uh, you know, make people believe that that uh, there are big amounts of fraud out there, that the, that the fraud uh, goes back to the days of the cemetery voting that we used to hear here in Chicago mm-hmm. and that it's still present. Well, uh Rick Pearson uh, did a great story on that for us, and he uh, quoted uh, Matt Dietrich, the state board of elections spokesman who's on top of this and a straight shooter, and he said there's no evidence of it. So uh, the idea is to stir the pot and to create doubt. It comes out of the Trump uh Roger Stone playbook to try to uh, talk about how we're winning when we're actually losing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is just one more way they're trying to put people around the state who can watch the polls and who are under that same belief.
1: Before we wrap this section of the, the recap, Tina, any other statewide races make news this week?
3: Um, I'm not sure. Well, we did have today, which you just heard that Obama endorsed Pritzker just now in a yeah. nice, very nice ad, 30 second ad that's going to be airing on statewide starting tonight. And he did vote on Monday. That's right. With Michelle.
1: Yeah. Which we'll we'll get into a little bit later. Um, Ray, Jacoby, have you seen anything notable going on in any of the races?
0: I mean, Attorney General Tom DeVore continues to. He, how many times did he sue? Throughout the pandemic, yeah. to ban masks, to ban vaccines, he continues to spread misinformation across social media. Which I think is a whole another conversation of these companies being held accountable for the spread of this misinformation. But again, regardless of if Devore wins or not, the, the the amount of money that are behind these fringe thoughts, right? I, I saw something in the Tribune earlier that said like election deniers. Like you can point back to the fifties and the sixties where these conspiracy theories were were fraught. But now you're seeing millions of dollars being invested behind the perpetrators of these mm. these lies and these falsehoods. And that is it's more dangerous than ever before. So I tend not to be about hyperbole. Right. But it, it really is at a at a you know
2: boiling point.
1: What's on your radar, Ray?
2: I can pick up on that. Um, Tom DeVore put out a tweet this week that he said uh, that he attached a, a Tribune headline to and it was, The headline was in the month since COVID-19 boosters, the most latest round that we're supposed to be taking. Yeah, uh, Only 10.5% of eligible Illinoisans have gotten them. So that suggests there's a fatigue. That's what the the doctors are saying, hey, not everybody's tuned into that. Mm-hmm. I've gotten already three or four, yeah, you know. Yeah, and There's definitely a push to try to get
1: folks to, to get the shot.
2: Tom, Tom DeVore put out a tweet that said the people aren't fooled any longer. You now see how small of a segment of society buys into j Bob's nonsense, meaning J.B. Pritzker. And so he's trying to take some fact and twist it through a uh, uh, lens that is uh, not on target and doesn't fit the facts, mm-hmm. and so um, that just uh, goes to show that there are just reams of misinformation out there, and it's an attack on the truth. And we have to stand for the truth. Reams and you of have
1: misinformation to... and billions of dollars. Yes,
2: yes, <laughs> and, and people can uh, proliferate it through Twitter too. So it's a, it's really something that you have to pay attention to.
1: This week, two former investigative reporters for the Chicago Tribune made headlines for their work at the Cook County Treasurer's Office. Ray, fill us
2: in. It's really a remarkable thing. Uh, Maria Pappas has hired Todd Lighty and Hal Dardick, um, and she has turned them loose on her office, basically. And she had them focus on something uh, that has the arcane name of sales in air. And what that basically sales and error? What is that, Ray? Oh, thank you. (laughs) Can you explain it to us? I've been working on this uh, for my PhD. You've got your term paper here. So please. (laughs) Well, basically, in theory, okay, in theory. And let me just uh, cite the article here that was done in the Trib. Tax sales are supposed to be beneficial, right? And governments are supposed to get money back from these tax sales, but people don't pay their taxes. Others look to invest in it, and this has become a kind of cottage industry among people who are not really doing what the law should be doing, which is to help government get their money from the from the tax rolls. And what is happening is uh, big investors, including uh, private equity firms and hedge funds, are buying up uh property that properties that are delinquent on their taxes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when the people who owe the taxes don't pay for a while, they owe interest. And then basically a lot of these investors then scoop up the interest and and then uh, the people pay their their overall tax bill and they get their property back. But it's turned into a major snafu. And what has happened is that they have figured out how to wiggle out of some of these purchases. And um, there are hundreds of millions over the last seven years that have uh, not gone to local property, uh, local property tax uh, entities Mm -hmm. like your school, like your local government, like your libraries, like your fire departments. And so, Pappas is now calling for some reforms that could shore that up so that there's less leakage from the property tax bills.
1: Boy, that was complicated. So tax (laughs) buyers, they can get out of a property tax purchase for cleric Errors yes, too, like so. Yes. You know, if your street name is misspelled, yes, for instance. Yes,
2: yes, they've tried to do that and tried to uh, wiggle out, and there have been numerous examples of how they've been able to do that, so that they don't uh, have to get stuck with a property, et cetera.
1: Yeah, but one thing I'm interested in with this story is is, is just that that idea of investigative reporters being hired by government yeah. officials to do work yeah. like this. Is, is that common for for Journalists to to do that. Well, do think
2: I, think, I think I uh, think journalism is going through this uh, big change right now. Where uh, in the Tribune's case, we we're bought by a hedge fund, and uh, there were opportunities to leave or opportunities to go to better pay. And uh, there, in some cases, some Tribune reporters have taken buyouts. I can't remember if Todd and, and Hal did, but the reality is that. They used their incredible skills. I miss them every day. And uh, they were able to get an inside look that reporters would never get Mm -hmm. if they were going up to any public uh, office and trying to get a a deep dive. And they were able to do a super deep dive because they had the cooperation of the office.
1: Yeah. Uh, Jacoby and Tina, I mean, newsroom employment has actually declined by more than a quarter. Since 2008, if you can believe that, that's numbers from uh, the Pew Research Center. And I wonder if you think that we'll see this sort of thing happening where, where journalists are just applying their skills to other jobs moving forward. I
0: mean, there definitely seems like opportunities, even just in my short time getting on this side of the the glass of Chicago's media landscape. True, yeah. You've seen; I've already seen people move from organizations, move out of journalism, um, and so people want to feel valued. They want to feel like their work is, you know, not simply for a headline that someone might skip over, a headline that they themselves may not have even written. Um, and, and so yeah. I know, you know, people people are looking for opportunities. Like my man Evan Moore uh, would tell me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to check that bag, too. Yeah.
1: What do you think, Tina? What have you been seeing around you?
3: Well, I do think just like a lot of professions, the pandemic changed a lot of the journalism oh, yeah. landscape. People did leave their jobs. I did. I came back That's to my right. old job very, happy, <laughs> very happily. So people kind of like That's looked, true. took a look at their life to see, like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be with? I like have a coworker tell me they appreciate me once a week. This is like a real story. So, I mean, you go to a workplace where you feel appreciated. So you might see people jumping around to find that.
1: Let's go to an aldermanic roundup. Uh, I want to start with mayoral candidate Sophia King, uh, who represents the fourth ward on the city's south side. She laid out her crime-fighting strategies this week. What in the world is she proposing?
3: So she is one of eight people so far running. People are still getting petitions. I I live in Logan Square. The farmer's market has everyone if you want to sign petitions. Some (laughs) candidates are struggling to get them. Um, but so her plan is a little different than what Mayor Lightfoot has done so far. And she wants to bring out a thousand retired Chicago police officers. She wants to use these crime fighting drones to get people in police chases. They would identify the location and then people, the cops would come and get them. The fact I that you said that without a
0: smile breaking but I, out I'm did like, <laughs>
1: quote, I'm like I she's, she's not going to just go slide over no, crime, crime
0: fighting, fighting, fighting drones, drones
3: <laughs> um, and also adding uh two hundred detectives, so, as I said, this is different than what Lightfoot has done. um She also wants to change the work week as we've seen there have been all these horrible you know cop suicides, medical issues, all sorts of things happening in the past couple of years. so there's a big focus on how many hours should these police work. Hers is actually a lot like longer than the mayor's. She wants uh ten hour days, four days a week, and the regular what is right now is three eight hour shifts. Ten-hour days, four days a week.
2: Right, just showing
3: that we need people crime-fighting is what she's trying to show. (laughs) Why the the fists? I don't know. It was supposed to be a (laughs)
1: quote. For the crime-fighting. For for the video. (laughs) Thoughts, gentlemen?
0: Um, One that I saw in there that really caught my attention was I believe not only are they offering signing bonuses, but a $10,000 down payment if you're a first-time home buyer. I mean, it seems like we got innovative strategies for bringing people to come work for city institutions. I feel like there are millions of Chicagoans who might be more interested in city jobs. You know, CTA is trying to hire, Um, you know, the Chicago Park District and pools are trying to hire. Uh, They they want more teachers to to stay in the city. You know, maybe start using some of these strategies that y'all using for CPD, because I'm hearing crime fighting strategies that are going to come through the police force. But then at the same time, Sophia King is using her $100,000 micro grant to invest in private security in her ward, Mm -hmm. which to me communicates that, you know, police do not keep us safe. And so we're moving to alternative methods. So... When both are getting money, it, it kind of feels like we're kind of just, you know, yeah. tossing money well, off the well, side Well, you of the mentioned road.
1: That, that private security in, in Bronzeville there. Mm-hmm. Give us some more detail there, Jacoby.
0: So the plan is that a, a neighborhood group is coming together with a, a private security group in the – um, so the office will collaborate with ex for community and social change and Halo Security Group. And Sophia King is going to use the $100,000 micro grant that all the older people were given to use at their own discretion to mm-hmm. invest in private security. Now, let me say this straight up. I understand that, you know, communities from Logan Square to Bronzeville to to, to Lakeview, everyone um, has been, you know, concerned about public safety. You know, like, what are ways that we can uh, invest to keep our communities thriving, to feel safe as we walk up and down the street? And private security is one of the first things that people reach for. My question is well, if we know that we need to invest in alternative methods to policing, how are we also looking at a budget that sees policing financing going up? How are the strategies for, uh, you know, improving public safety, continuing to invest in, you know, carceral models of safety, but at the same time saying, well, communities need to be responsible for keeping themselves in a way that isn't necessarily community policing but private security. Mm -hmm. And and that concerns me because when you – you know, when you're somebody who lives between Hyde Park, who finds themselves on 47th Street, you know, I'm already worried about being profiled by the people for whom my tax dollars fund, a.k.a. the police. But this microgrant is also my tax dollars. And so I'm now potentially yeah. going to be profiled by private security and my neighbors. Inside of my neighborhood. And so I don't see how I, as a citizen moving to Chicago, benefit this uh, from this on, on a daily basis.
1: Such a good point. Jumping to our friends over at YouTube, Angela says, you know, seeing police all over the place makes me more nervous. Police themselves seem plenty violent. Uh, and she also says, in, in regard to uh, Sophia King's plan, crime fighting drones sounds like they have their own moral compass and agenda.
0: Yeah, that, hmm. that sounds like There's the plot from far from home. There's also some privacy issues there,
3: too. Huge yeah. privacy don't want issues. From.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear that folks are sounding off here on YouTube. Shamrock says we need to invest in education, not private security in neighborhoods that can afford it. Yep. Thoughts, Ray?
2: Well, it's a, t- it's a tough, tough issue that uh, many, many mayors have wrestled with, obviously. And uh, we've seen so many issues here that have grown in proportion under the Lightfoot administration. And uh, it's also happening around the country, but when it, it also strikes me that another piece of this equation may be to look at the private security um, and whether those are cops who are working extra time mm-hmm. and then they're mm-hmm. spreading themselves thin and then they could be on a short uh, fuse as a result of that. So it's hard to say hey, you can take this cap job and then you can also be a private security person. Maybe there would be even more people doing that if they had three days off a week.
1: Mm. Shamrock Bloom says crime-fighting drones wouldn't prevent the killing of Adam Toledo by a Chicago police officer. I don't get it.
2: That's a tough one. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, Jacoby, uh, over to 42nd Ward Alderman Brendan Riley, who warned about the possibility of fraud in the city's gas and uh, venture card giveaway. What happened there? What did he say?
0: You know, I, I definitely took this warning with a grain of salt. You know, for people who may not be familiar, back in April, city council voted pretty close, 26 to 23, to pass the the gas giveaway and venture car giveaway. I actually believe Sophia King was the only person who wasn't able to vote because she had COVID-19 at the time. Oh, okay. Um, so just an interesting link there. But even then, Alderman Riley was not one of the people who voted for this, uh, you know, but... Practically labeling it a giveaway. And so we saw 50,000 gas cards, 100,000 venture cards given out. And now Riley came back during the city council budget hearing in which the the inspector general was attending and said we should maybe investigate this from fraud. Because someone in my ward came up and said they were able to to use this at a Walgreens um, to get 50 or 60 extra dollars or, you know, they were able to load more on a venture card. And I'm going to just say it. I don't care that people who need money for transportation were able to get a couple extra bucks for some extra items. And, and I think Riley drawing attention to this definitely means that people who have otherwise maybe discarded those cars, thrown them in the trash, are probably rifling through their junk drawer right now, trying to see if they can go take that car to get a little extra 50 or $60. And so we know that the the people who ultimately got these were The most vulnerable people in our city, the people who needed um, extra cash at a time in which, you know, they they couldn't sit in those long Willie Wilson lines. Right. For gas and groceries. And so I'm not really with, you know, kind of painting a broad strokes picture of the people who receive them as potential perpetrators of fraud. I, I don't I don't think it helps to, to, to uplift the most vulnerable amongst yeah. us.
1: Well, sticking with you, I want to head to the southwest side. Uh, 18th Ward Alderman Derek Curtis also made news this week. What are the details there?
0: Interestingly enough, Derek Curtis during the commi- uh, during committee did not vote for the gas giveaway until his southwest side neighborhoods were included in it. So when it got to the full council, he did vote for it. Well, he was in the news this week, unfortunately, uh, because uh, according to his statement, The alderman was helping a neighbor clean and repair a small gun that was was malfunctioning at the range. And while reassembling the gun, it went off and Curtis was allegedly hit in the wrist. Uh, He was taken to the hospital and is in good condition. Um,
1: So he shot himself in the hand.
0: That is what he is saying. Uh, Accidental deaths cost hundreds, maybe even thousands of lives every single year across the nation. And so I don't want to, um, you know, take this. In uh, any joking matter, I, but I do want to say in a way that I hope doesn't sound like I'm, I'm blaming a victim, is I don't know that much about guns. But having one in the chamber as you're reassembling a gun, you know that was malfunctioning. Um, and again, I'm not sure at what angle the gun was being held to. It just seems like, as somebody who was uh, a licensed, somebody who is licensed to teach concealed carry, uh, mm-hmm. that there, there, there may have been some ways to prevent this. Um, and so I just hope that rather than becoming a meme on the internet, it is another lesson for people who choose to own guns in their home, who choose to come in contact with guns uh, that that safety and, and proper usage has to be at the the, the utmost yeah. um, uh, on your mind and so again to to curtis to to his family members i'm sure who are shaken by this you know I, I wish him a speedy uh, any idea recovery. how he's doing? Um, I do not know from the statement, it did look like he wanted to push the attention um, away from the incident to also focus gotcha. on some of um, the, the policies that he stands on, particularly uh, gun prevention. Again, uh, this situation, I fear, is is rife for kind of making its way through the Twitterverse and coming back out, um, um, you know, a lot less serious. Mm-hmm. But, you
2: know, I, I hope people see it as a, a moment of caution. Yeah. Well, speaking of serious, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Exactly. Oh, of course. And, and <laughs> exactly. so you got to, you know, yeah. you got to thank God that it wasn't worse than mm-hmm. that. And that's what we see with all, a lot of these incidents that you talk about where accidental deaths become tragedies.
1: Folks on YouTube saying we need, we need gun safety legislation.
2: We do. I don't know exactly how gun legislation
0: would have helped helped in his, you know, neighborhood, in his friend's home, putting together a gun. But we we definitely need to to mandate that people are at least putting themselves in the best positions possible.
1: I want to dive into the Cook County Guaranteed Income Program because tonight is the deadline, 11.59 p.m. to apply. More than 200,000 people so far have applied. They're only... 3,250 spots. Remind us of the basics of this program and how it's going to work.
0: Yeah, people who meet a certain income threshold will be able to apply for this money, and through the lottery system, like you said, about 3,200 will be selected to get $500 a month, no strings attached, for the next two years, which I want to remind people is different from the Chicago Guarantee Income Pilot Program, which selected about 5,000 people to get $500 a month for the next year. Uh, So there are two separate programs which, when they were announced Kind of had that like political vibe to it. Like Lori Lightfoot was like, "This is going to be the biggest ever." And Tony Preckwinkle came out I was oh, like, "This, is the, <laughs> this, this is the biggest ever." This was the biggest ever. A Kanye
1: West, Taylor Swift moment, right? <laughs> but, but, to, but to
0: put these these numbers into perspective for people, if we stay at like two hundred six thousand, or even n- jump it up to two hundred ten thousand, that means that less than one point five percent of all the applicants are going to get picked. And, and that really makes me question these programs, not their benefit, not how much people need them, but their overall effectiveness, right? Similar to the gas giveaway and every other social safety network that we have, it's never enough. And we already know that people need this money, right? We need decades more social science mm-hmm. research to tell us that when people get extra money, they use it to sustain themselves and their family. And so, I'm not really sure what more we're going to learn from these programs. And so I think we need to to get more innovative at the local and federal level. We need more pilot programs that have a longer time span. Right. We need more stimulus checks. We mm-hmm. need to enforce stronger corporate taxation and funnel that money into social services. We need to increase wages, universal rate. Right? These pilot programs aren't going to yeah. fix generations of wage inequality. And mm-hmm. so so we need to get bigger and better at this because I feel bad for the hundreds of thousands of people who go through all of the necessary steps to apply. Some people have to go to classes to learn how to apply to be told, yeah, no, you didn't get picked for the first one earlier this year. You're not getting picked for this you know
1: one. Because you have to do it online, right? right. The, the application. Uh, I spoke with uh, Tony Pratwinkle last week on Reset and she was very adamant that this is going to go beyond just being a pilot period, right? So after the two years, they are dedicated to making it permanent. Mm-hmm. Remind us how folks get to be a part of this program. Is it through a lottery?
0: Yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure how any of the lotteries, Illinois, whether it's Income Pilot, whether it's you can open a weed shop tomorrow, I'm not really sure how they all work. <laughs> but 32... Uh, uh, <laughs> 32- you know, 3,250 people will be picked from the, the demographic numbers they, they've pushed out. A large number of the people who are applying are women. A lot of those are women of color, women who have children, people who are ahead of their household. Yeah. Um, and so we know that the people who are going to get it are going to, to need it. And nine out of 10 times, they're going to use it in a way that helps to, to push their family forward. I saw people saying they wanted to finish community college classes. That'll be extra groceries. That'll mean they can get their car fixed. And so yeah. it, I can't help but feel like dangling money in front of oppressed people who are living up against the, the forces of capitalism and poverty. Like, what more do you need to know? Like So so that that's how I feel mm-hmm. at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of wages and income, I want to get an update on a story that we've covered here on Reset as well. That's unionization at Starbucks, Ray. Uh, right. Some news about a cafe in Edgewater?
2: Right. A Starbucks in and, and Edgewater announced it's going to close, and it just so happened, coincidence – whether you believe it in or not, uh, I have to question it at, at this time. Mm-hmm. The workers there were talking about unionizing. And so this is kind of another black eye for Starbucks, which has kind of built itself with this image of, hey, Seattle, we're cool. We're mm-hmm. the big uh, Northwest uh, type of uh, universe that everybody thinks about everybody else. Well, that's not what this kind of signal is is giving people here. That it looks like, and um, it it gives the image of whether Starbucks says it is so or not. It gives the image that they're cracking down on on unionization, mm-hmm. and these are people who are just trying to get a living wage.
1: Yeah. Well, another topic that we've been talking about on the show is the surge in a scam called check washing. Tina. Thieves were stealing checks in the mail and then chemically erasing the details and then filling in their own details and cashing in. So five people were charged in a crackdown in this scam. Give us the rest of the details there. It's
3: called Operation Broken Arrow, which is a good name for an operation. All right. Um, But it is not just the check washing. It's also burglarizing mailboxes, having keys. So imagine someone just being able to open a mailbox, taking whatever they want. A lot of people, we pay our bills, obviously, online or on the phone, or but there are people who use checks. A colleague of mine, Dave Stewart, wrote a story about a Southwest Side couple who wrote a $30 check to a school that was erased to $10,000 to some person that they've never met, and it took them a long, wow. long time to get the money back. I think the bank said six months. I think our reporter contacted the bank, and I think that, that helped to speed it up, but imagine being out of $10,000. Um, for over six months. My goodness. Um, so it's a big, it's a new thing. Um, it's not a new thing, rather. It's gotten worse during the pandemic. And I guess there's been about 17,000 cases in Illinois so far this year. So wow. it is something that the feds are watching is one of the things that they're really kind of trying to get more people on because it's it's scary. It's the yeah. mail should be a trusted situation. And for in sure. this case, it hasn't been.
1: Well, a question from YouTube. Will anyone track how money is spent?
3: With the checks that were stolen? yeah. Uh, I think that's how that's a good question. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I think the feds are probably if they don't have the people who wrote the check, they are probably tracking yeah. the money to see how they can get them.
1: Well, Jacobi, another story, another, a lot of criminal activity has been going on near Wrigley Field over this past week. What's happening?
0: Yeah, from, from what I can understand, the there were I think five or six instances where people were held at gunpoint, instructed to get inside of a waiting car, robbed of their belongings, and then dropped off at another location. To which, first, I'm glad that all of those people you know, are, are still here with us, that none of them were, were injured in gunfire. But, but I do, as somebody who has been robbed at gunpoint in my life, um, it's a trauma that doesn't easily wash off of you. It kind of stays with you. I I find myself now to this day still having a a slight level of paranoia that I move with. Um, But one thing that I have tried to do in the, the aftermath is not to cast such a wide net. You know, I got to see. I got to look the person in the eyes. In this case, they did not, uh, from what I understand, because the descriptions that they've given out have been so broad—something like five, eight to six foot, black guy, one hundred fifty to one hundred seventy-five. Dark pounds. clothing. And while I only meet two of the three of those criteria, potentially, um, again, it's it's very similar to the conversation we were having earlier. You know, I know that people want to feel safe in their community. I know that people don't want to to, to run up against the risk of losing their life, losing their their, their valuables. but again, I, I also fear of how we respond mm-hmm. to these situations. and you know, for the five, eight to six foot black guy 150 to 175 pounds moving through Wrigley Field, I know there are more eyes on them. Today than there were yesterday or were last week, and there were already plenty of eyes uh, as somebody like myself who moved through that neighborhood and so i don 't know where you you know kind of where you you find the balance of making sure people feel safe, whether you know against crime or or, or against being stereotyped but but I would just hope that we can find balance some humanity in mm-hmm. this narrative
1: well, Ray, do you think that these kinds of headlines are actually going to keep people from going to a Cubs game or visiting well, the bars in Wrigleyville?
2: I think people will be more cautious. Yeah. I think there's a, a, a palpable feel in the city right now that people need to feel better about going out. Uh, they have to now think about whether or not they're going to have an extra wallet to give to the to the person who's uh, sticking them up or uh, whether they uh, just take their ID out instead mm-hmm. of their credit cards or they don't take a purse or some something like that. And I do think that uh, that uh, we will see and we've already heard that there's going to be more caps in that area, but it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? The, so you understand that there's a problem here and you send a surge of caps, where we we're trying to get some kind of balance here to keep it all under control in every neighborhood because yeah. everybody deserves safety. It's a tough, t- tough call. And I don't think it's going to mean there are fewer fans and they go to Cubs games. They go to Cubs games when they're losing. It's incredible. Well, no,
1: no <laughs> that's true, too. <laughs> uh, Jacoby, the Obamas. They made a surprise visit to Chicago this week. What were they doing?
2: It's
0: never a surprise for the people who live <laughs> by their house. Right? I stay like three, four blocks away. So it's always very clear uh, when, They're coming. <laughs> when the former president and first lady are in town. Uh, but they were back here to vote. Right. Uh, Michelle Obama, the former first lady, is getting geared up to go on a national book tour. Uh, President Obama is getting ready to go around the country, stumping for very vulnerable uh, candidates in the midterm election. And so they stopped by the super site downtown uh, to cast their their early ballots. But they also um, the former president met with a a panel of students. I.O., the rookie who had an amazing start to the season in the first game against the Heat, Mm -hmm. was there as well. Uh, And then. Uh, the first lady Michelle Obama visited with some s- students at the school right across from where the Obama Center is currently being Hyde Park Academy. yeah where the, the Obama Center is currently being constructed for some Obama Foundation events. Uh anytime they come to town I'm always torn. I'm torn with most topics if I haven't overused that phrase oh, already why? <laughs> because on one hand uh the nostalgia of seeing them move and I hope this doesn't come off as ages. I do not mean it. But with the last two administrations, you didn't get the same vibe of life, right? They're not filling out NCAA brackets. They're not, you know, seeing them at the White House get their, their porches up and how cute they were with each other, right? Yeah. You know, that there was always a feeling of despite them being the president and the first lady, there was a false sense of accessibility there, right? We know it's false, but it feels like they were people who can be touched. Right. And so Michelle Obama sitting down with these students to talk about some of the significant moments in her life from facing racism as a child to navigating prestigious institutions, losing her father, being the the first black first lady to to raise her children in the white house. It's so amazing to see that, but I will push back right. The other side of the coin, right? The the first lady says something to the students of, you know, you got to get active. You got to fight for yourself. The people who are out there trying to legislate your life out of, you know, purview, they don't, they don't care about you. They don't see you. And I'll continue to challenge the, the former first family, to remember that these are their peers they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? This is their generation that they're talking about. And so beyond just you know, early voting and political stumps and, and photo ops, you know, I challenge them to, to 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 push back against officials in this city and nationally because I'd argue black and brown children in Chicago are more police more scrutinized, and more disenfranchised than ever before. And so, you know, I, I want them to continue to fight and to work tooth and nail to make sure that the sins of their peers, their colleagues, and their generations don't to continue to fall on the shoulders yeah. of the very children they sit and, and, and kind of uh, powwow with.
1: Chat with, yeah, very good point. I, I want to share some good news with you, Tina. Some good news. Girl Scouts are involved. Yes.
3: What did they announce? Uh, Mackenzie Scott, who um, she uh, broke has up. Has a lot of money. Has a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> has a, lot. a lot of time. A I lot, feel bad. That. Like that's it it kind out. of all I know. Yeah. I so mean, she's Jeff, Jeff. Bezos' <laughs> ex, and they split in 2019, and she has pledged to give it all away. She gave $4.2 million to the Girl Scouts. It's Chicago and Northwest Indiana. It's the largest um, contribution they've ever received. $4.2 I took a look at her little pledge. She has like a, a website giving pledge, and she says, I will keep at it until the safe is empty. Wow. That is a lot of money.
0: Which is is going to be for. How
1: how many Girl Scout cookies
3: could $4.2 million buy? A lot. She has, <laughs> she has focused on women's issues, um, racial equity. So she is um, thoughtfully thinking uh, thoughtfully thinking about where to send her money. Yeah. Thoughtful thoughts.
1: <laughs> I, bet they
0: did, I bet that wasn't even her initial plan. I think they came to sell her cookies and they talked her out of an $80 million donation. She got a truckload of cookies and then she was like, I'm going to actually give to the Girl Scouts now. Y'all are real good salespeople. <laughs> yeah. I'm the strongest I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: All right. So 30 seconds here. I, I'm going to do quick hits around the room. What are you looking at next week? What are you keeping an eye on? You first, Tina.
3: Uh, I will definitely be on the campaign trail trying to track down Darren Bailey and J.B. Pritzker. I'll be watching all the money. Why, I even ask you? All about
1: of course it. that's what you're doing. That's your life till November 8th. Yes. Jacoby.
0: Oh, I mean, at CityCast Chicago, we got some great episodes coming out for people. But to get the week started on a relaxing note, we're going to be looking at some of the best fall hikes mm. um, around Chicago and around Midwest.
1: Sweet. And Ray?
2: Well, I, I'm i going to be looking to see if there's anything in the uh, statewide realm of the politics that I can uh, sink my teeth into. But also, <laughs> speaking of sinking my teeth into, I just bought a couple of cans of nuts for my favorite Girl Scout, Maggie Ray. So. Hey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long, Tina Svondellis of the Chicago Sun-Times, and Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. My pleasure. This episode of Reset was produced by Andrea Guffman. It was edited by Ethan Schwab. Want to hear our recap every Friday? Then subscribe to this podcast. We'll get you caught up on all the news and share stories that you may have missed. And when you subscribe, please leave us a rating because that helps other listeners find us. That's it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great weekend.